0: my friend, to the seventh episode of the spring 2022 season of Minnesota Gardening Podcast, where we're working on growing your own meals. And we have been having, this is the third of three episodes out of our nine episode season, where we talk heavily about seed starting. We get you all the way from starting the seeds in episode five to working through growing those seeds, what they require for heat and light and all different things along along those lines in episode 6. In this episode 7, we take it to the next level. We take those toddler plants and get them out into the real world and, and growing and just doing really well. And I am just so honored to have Kelsey Love with us here for this third episode to talk all through seed starting. And I hope you are following Kelsey at Erlumista on instagram and make sure to sign up for her newsletter as well it's really really great and if you're liking all this content. If you're liking the podcast, please consider joining the Minnesota Gardening Club. It's just a great, great group of people that I have so much fun with. You can get, go to minnesotagardeningclub.com and you can get two weeks free of the Minnesota Gardening Club. And I know you will love it. So with that, here is the final episode of this three nuts and bolts episodes. We still have two more after this for the season, but this is the final about seed starting specifically. So enjoy. All right, we have our third and final episode here with Kelsey Love, who is the heirloomista on Instagram. And uh, we've today talked through, um, if you're listening just to this episode, make sure we have a whole season about seed starting and spring gardening here that's going on for the second season of the Minnesota Gardening Podcast. And we are in the third of three episodes with Kelsey Love talking this one about uh taking our, our little toddler plants and getting them used to being outside and how we do transplanting and what we need to think about that way. So Kelsey, before we get into that, where else can people find you? Where can they purchase your vegetables and your amazing stuff that you grow on the farm?
1: Yeah, great. You can find me, of course, on the interwebs at heirloomista.com. And also, I think I'm the one and only heirloomista like, on the interwebs, so any social media platform. But Another great thing is I have a farm shop here on my farm and I give tours and invite people out. Um, part of what I do is um, of being accessible to people, people who want to have an experience on the farm or if they want to learn or just see where their food comes from, whether that's veggies, herbs or or meat. So people are absolutely welcome to come out to the farm. Uh, you can find more information at heirloomista.com.
0: And you are located north of the metro, but I don't know how far north.
1: Yeah, I'm an hour north of Twin Cities. So straight shot on 35, and jump off on on the North Branch exit. I'm really close to Wild oh, River awesome. State Park. Um, so I always encourage people come hiking for the day or go check out Franconia. It's all all my backyard. So
0: yeah, Franconia is so cool. It's so <laughs> it's such, and it's
1: so it's, it's good such a for fun anyone. weird place. Yeah, it's great. And they have like classes and stuff now too. So you can, they have this great new building where you can go check stuff out and take classes and it's just great for all ages and you can bring the dog and whatnot. So that's great.
0: Perfect. Yeah. I will uh, put that in the show notes as well. Cause it's uh it's, it's a day trip to Erlomista's farm. So that's a beautiful yeah. thing. So <laughs> now, uh, so we've gotten our plants through these three episodes to being happy, growing, Uh, hopefully happy growing plants that are now in need of transplanting and moving to the next stage of their life. So what time of year should that happen?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So generally it's, it's by temperature. So at this stage in the game, you have wonderful, healthy plants. um, And that maybe they're inside and you need to start thinking about putting them outside. And that's not a direct process. Um, there's a way to kind of ease into it, um, but you want to make sure that it's definitely above freezing overnight. Um, there's a standard rule for tomatoes: like once it's above 50 overnight, it's fine to plant them outside. Um, and this changes, so you know I'm sure you're going to be really dialed into the weather now that you're a, an avid home gardener, and <laughs> you're going to be noticing the things and th- that come with the season re- relating to weather. Um, but yeah, you just, it can't be below freezing. It's best if it's over 40 or 45 degrees out here on the farm. I'm a bit more rough and tough with my plants because again, I'm a seed saver. Like if it's not going to make it, you know, when it's a little tough, I probably don't want to keep it, but that doesn't mean that you can, um, give it a bit more time and ease into it. Um, so at this point you probably have, like I said, nice, strong, healthy plant with multiple leaves on it and a nice, strong stem. And you want to think about getting it out into your raised bed or your garden or your container or whatever it is that you're going to plant it in. And like I said, make sure it's above 45 at night. Um, And while you're getting up to that temperature, it does take time. So even if it's chilly at night but it's warm during the day, you can start bringing your plants outside to start the process of um, hardening off. so that's that's um it's a good it's a good way to transfer your plants outside. Um, so essentially, what you're doing is when we're inside growing our plants, we're kind of coddling them, you know, there's, there's no wind in their hair and there's not strong sun on their leaves. So when they go outside, if you just put them outside without hardening them off, they might get a sunburn or they might get beat up by the wind or like the difference in temperature might be too extreme and they might be stunted. So that is what this hardening off process is. Um, you gradually bring your plants outside, maybe for a few hours a day to make sure they're getting strong sunlight and they're experiencing wind um because like i mentioned earlier is these plants are regulating to their surroundings and when we keep them inside with a highly predictable like a highly controlled environment there's nothing that they're really not nothing nothing, but they're regulating to fewer things than they will be when they're out in your garden does that make sense
0: yeah they'll absolutely have to figure out a way to deal with stress and this is hardening them off is an easier, Mm -hmm. uh, on-ramp for, for dealing with those stresses that they'll have to deal with.
1: Yep. Definitely. So I think the standard rule is between seven and 14 days where you start this process of bringing them outside and then you bring them back in. It's also much cleaner process to water your plants outside (laughs) than it is inside. Um, but you can do that and grab or you gradually add more each time. And at a certain point, you can just leave them out outside uh, before you transplant them, or you can just transplant them as long as the soil is warm enough
0: and I know there are a lot of different thought processes as how to how how intense or uh, uh, how invigorating this hardening off process should be. And I tend to fall very much along the same. Uh, lines as you do kelsey of it we i don't have time to and most busy gardeners and busy folks don't have time to be pulling plants in and out once a day for for an hour or, or that kind of thing so what i mm-hmm. when i when i do hardening off i basically put uh for a couple hours just so they get used to wind and things i put them on my deck in the shade on my deck so that they're not in full sunlight, but it's definitely stronger sun that time of year. Mm-hmm. And I just do three or four days and then I just leave them outside unless it's going to get too cold. And then they're mostly outside until, <laughs> until I transplant. So that's, I know not uh, the way a lot of very... Uh, uh, I don't know, hardcore gardeners is the way to but very proper gardeners mm-hmm. do do things. I, I tend to not do much that's proper in the gardening sense of things. It's uh <laughs> what what fits into my lifestyle and what fits into our ability to get things done. And so hardening off is something that I tend to uh to to not do as much of and to do an easing Mm -hmm. in. If it's windy, make sure to bring the plants back in. If it's, uh, like super bright and sunny, don't leave them out in the sunshine because they will get sunburned and things, but I don't do a ton of hardening off, but it's important to make sure that those plants have that transition.
1: Right. To consider the process. Absolutely. I, I also don't have an intensive hardening off process. Um, And it's simply because of scale and like how I grow things, because it's all in a greenhouse before it goes outside. So light isn't a factor, but wind absolutely is. But with the amount of things that I'm growing in a in a germination uh, propagation greenhouse, it's like we need to be making more space. And so sometimes they're just, you know, thirty flats of onions. You're going outside now, and you're just going to be there forever. Right. (laughs) But you know, there are plants that are much hardier than others. So obviously, I would not throw all of my tomatoes outside and be like, okay, you're on your own. You know, those are those are delicate, finicky little buggers sometimes, but like right. definitely onions, you know, broccoli. They're very, very hearty. I mean onions can even take a freeze. They can take a few freezes. So if if you forget your onions outside, just you're okay. <laughs> um, which I it took me a couple of years to to, you know, I'm always pushing the um pushing the, the limits of how cold is too cold, you know, mm-hmm. and the plants that I always experiment with are my shallots and my onions, because like I said, they can take a freeze. And as long as you don't touch them before they thaw out, they'll bounce back.
0: So, and there are a lot of things as well that you can, that can handle that, that especially in Minnesota, it's important mm-hmm. to recognize that we have some things that are cold tolerant plants. I mean, they can't get, uh, to a super hard freeze or anything like that, but there are also a lot of things that we, we talked in the first episode about direct sowing of plants Mm -hmm. and there's things that we can direct. sow well before our, uh, theoretical last frost date of the year, are there's, do you recommend people getting started early with things or where, where do you go with that?
1: Yeah. If you are like just chomping at the bit, that soil is over 40 degrees you can plant your, your peas no problem just plant them an inch or so deep, water them and peas take a long time to germinate It might be a couple weeks um, if, you know if you don't soak them um, sometimes you can soak seeds that take a longer time to germinate to to speed up that process. but when it's that early in the year, I wouldn't soak anything I wouldn't want to rush it any more than, than that. Um, you can also plant carrots fairly early. Um, I transplant my beets and my onions and shallots super early. And that's a function of time for me, like time management. I know that I have tons of things coming on in the near future that I'm going to have to clear my schedule for to transplant. that are going to take a lot much, a lot more energy of mine. And so I'm totally fine planting things. Like, like I said, the, the, the transplanting beets and alliums super early, even if it's still freezing at night, and it's been totally fine. Um, and I'm trying to think of other seeds that I direct so, where you can do it well ahead of time. So peas definitely, carrots absolutely, radishes, I've noticed that if I plant them too early, even though they can they can take some deep cold, they don't grow as well, so Got it. But yeah, carrots are really safe.
0: Um, So how do you decide, and this is, I think from here on out, just going to be a conversation and me learning from you, but how how do you decide (laughs) um, like beets? I have only ever direct sown beets. Do you start them early so that you've got early product or do you start them early because it's best to start it earlier? How does that work in your situation?
1: Yeah. So I start... My first round of beets, I absolutely plant in flats in the greenhouse and then I transplant them. That's simply a function of um, having multiple harvests because I have a very small farm. I know a lot of people come out here and they're like, whoa, this is so much, but it, it is a working farm. And for me, this is my livelihood and I need to diversify and expand my production as much as possible. And so what that looks like is trying to have as much As I can for as long as I can. Um, and so you're working with the weather. And so that is like, like I said, beets can take a freeze. They're fine. That's what I've discovered. Is it good to continuously do that? No. (laughs) But um, yeah. And they don't root uh beets are one of the root crops you can transplant. I like to do it. Um what I've noticed is a lot of the weeds that I have here on the farm look similar to beets, and so it's just easier for me to transplant them just for weed, um, competition. Um, yeah. And my soil is very light. So I also like to transplant as much as I can simply because things just take longer to grow.
0: And when you transplant things, what, um, What are important things for people to think about as they are transplanting uh, into their garden when they're taking these uh, babies that they've grown for a couple months here is uh, do you loosen the soil all up beforehand? Do you leave the soil still and just uh, dig a hole for them? What what is the best way to to do this from a uh, bio – I'm forgetting the word now. Biodynamic. uh, Biodynamic uh, sort of lens.
1: Yeah. And I'm biodynamic or not. I mean, soil prep is huge. So for me, I use, um, I have a big composting system that I use. So I have a lot of composted cow manure. So in the springtime, what that looks like is I am incorporating tons and tons of cow manure into my beds. Um, so I dump that in. And then, um, if I have plenty of time, I will use my broad fork to kind of mix the soil in with the compost um, you know, if I don't have a lot of time, I use my BCS tractor. Um, but at a at a home scale, add your compost or your soil amendments, or if you don't have any, that's okay too. Just make sure you break up the soil a bit. If you think about um these these roots that you're these plants that you're gonna be planting, you want their roots to be welcomed and kind of like settle into to the groove. So part of that is offering them like wonderful fluffy bed of soil um, instead of like just digging a hole and plopping them in because the the looser the soil is, the more the roots can work their way into it as well as water and all the things that you want kind of traveling around the soil to access the roots for plant growth. Right.
0: I've I've been, I've been experimenting in, I have raised bed gardening is the way I do things. And so my soil is already really, loose and airy and we top top dress with compost each year, but I'm experimenting more and more with not tilling anything at all. Yeah. Just, to just to keep my fungus friends happy underneath there. And, uh, is that, is that scalable? Like how, how, how does that work into your operations and what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, for sure. I've been trying to get away from using my tractor as much as possible. That's more for, environmental reasons um, of, I don't want to participate. I don't want to purchase any more petrochemicals than I absolutely have to. Obviously at a field scale, I like farm production, it's the tractors and motors and things are like part of life here. But because of my scale, I'm able to do a lot more um, handwork and less invasive uh, practices. So talking about the broad fork, I don't know if that's something you've used before um yep, so absolutely That's yeah my favorite thing yeah they're awesome so i absolutely love my broad fork so the function of it is to kind of poke a hole in the soil and loosen it up instead of like people who have rototillers like on their tractor or like a garden rototiller what that does is that mixes things around in like a circular motion and um i think that it's important to establish your beds it's It's perfectly fine to use whatever practices you want to 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 use in your garden or on your farm or whatever it is. But I definitely used a tiller to establish my beds to make sure that that I was getting enough compost incorporated incorporated into the soil. But I'm at Mm -hmm. this point now where everything is established. So I generally like to use my broad fork by exactly what you said is top dressing the bed with with uh, compost, whether it's composted manure or, you know, broken down compost from your garden from yesteryear or whatever it is. And I think that's just a better, um, it's a better system. I've noticed my yields have improved just by doing that instead of, um, uh, mixing the soil around, um, touching base on what you said is to keep your, your fungus friends happy is, and this is a rabbit hole. I will try not to go down, <laughs>
0: I, I gave go you, there. this is, as I said, between episodes, I said, this is, if people have hung on until the third episode, they are very, uh, they're committed. They're very, yeah, they got this. So you, you take that time. Yeah.
1: Okay. So it just comes down to soil health. And there are so many things in the soil that we, we don't even know the beginning of it. And, and we know a lot, but just, just to, for context, it's just, they're learning now just how much we don't know and all the things that are in there. So it's best to just leave it alone. I think, um, um, I always tell people, cover your soil up, you know, like don't, don't turn it over. If you don't have to, the soil is like the skin of the earth. And like, when you cut your skin, let's say you cut, there's a cut on your arm. You don't want to like air it out and like, Hey, my insides like now you can see the sun it's not good it's going to cause bad things and so i kind of view the soil as the same way is just like cover it up and don't tear into it more than you absolutely have to you know so it's kind of hard to do that because you know when you're you're done harvesting like like you have your big broccoli plant you just harvested it and now you want to plant something else like getting that root mass out of there is significant so you may have to like dig that up and that will cause like a big hole in the soil but to generally add more than you're taking away from the soil is a hard thing to do but to have that mindset of like giving back to the soil um i think is really important um and a way to do that is to not disturb it all the time does that make sense
0: absolutely did you uh did i don't know if you purposefully or uh uh, or just didn't think about it. But uh, did you want to go on uh, into Mycorrhizae? I
1: mean, we can go there.
0: Yeah, go for it. <laughs> I think it, it's important for this transplanting piece and how how there's uh, symbiotic relationships there.
1: Right, absolutely. So there's just so many symbiotic relationships happening in the soil. And again, that we don't really know. But a big thing, and I feel like it's been trending or maybe it's just been talked about more in the last like five to seven years than like before, but there, there is this network of, of fungus more or less that interacts with roots on the plants and the soil. And it's this huge underground network and you can't really see it, but there's so much communication going on in that network. Um, and the more you leave it alone, the more it grows and the more you go in and you turn things around, it breaks it up And then they have to reestablish. And so this is one of the, the, the benefits of like no till or low till, um, farming or gardening is you're, when you add compost, when you top dress, so you essentially just add more to the top of your soil, you might loosely work it in, you might not. What you're doing is you're feeding the soil and you're feeding that mycorrhiza. And so, instead of like i said going in and rearranging the house you're just letting it be and letting it grow um i'd be curious to hear what you have to say about that as well cuz it's it's such a it's such a big topic of conversation
0: it is yeah we could absolutely <laughs> and will at some point have many episodes on mycorrhizae itself but it uh is we're i, I think you you said it perfectly the we're, we're learning so much right now in soil sciences and, and really, um, that like, as we, as we start growing our plants and we're growing them indoors, I, I still use sterilized, uh, growing medium for the potting soil is what I use, but it'll be interesting over the next few years as to how much we learn, as to how important having those, because mycorrhizae is a fungus, um, mm-hmm. and it it just lives underground, and the the mushrooms are a fruiting body of the mycorrhizae, and and they have they pass nutrients back and forth and help, um, help. So if you think about beans and legumes and and that there are. Uh, mycorrhizae and bacteria and a whole bunch of different things, but they help with nitrogen and moving that nitrogen through the soil. And we're just learning so much. It will be really interesting to see over the next decade as to if we should be doing a lot more of inoculating the soils early and Mm -hmm. using more natural soils instead of sterile soils and that as it goes forward. So it's just a lot to learn.
1: Yeah. It's really exciting to think about like this huge underground like social network of fungus. I mean, they're chatting with trees like way far away. And to think about that, I think is it's insightful stuff. The more you learn, the less, you know,
0: (laughs) it is. Yeah. It, uh, we had an episode here just recently all about growing mushrooms at home. And, um, we, we hit on that a little bit. Uh, we, we suck more to the mushrooms as a food source type of thing, but Mm we, 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 went adjacent to the wonderful world that is our Funkus friends. And so I'll, we'll definitely have a season in the next, uh, year or so about, about that and just how much we do and don't know and talk to experts about, uh, Michael and, and take a deep dive into that area. So perfect. Well, Kelsey love, thank you so much for taking so much time and going through this with our listeners and, and helping them understand how to grow successfully and, and to, uh, fail respectively if uh if that <laughs> does happen for them um but is there anything like with seed starting and transplanting and getting these babies in the ground and growing that we we haven't covered that uh through these three episodes that you want to make sure people know it all
1: <laughs> do, do people know it all no i think just don't forget to enjoy the process like this isn't like i said earlier it's not rocket surgery you're going to make mistakes you're working with a living organism and just try it on for size, and see see what you like and what you don't, and just just enjoy the process.
0: I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Perfect. Well, our next episode we've got here for everyone is all about uh, taking and improving and increasing the amount of. Uh, seasonality on the shoulders of the season. So you can extend the growing season in the spring, extending the growing season in the fall. And we've got an awesome guest to go with that one as well. So Kelsey, thank you so much again for being here. It was an absolute pleasure. Thanks
1: again for having me. It's great.
0: Hey, real quick before we go, wanted to let you know as well that we have a $47 course from Minnesota Gardening that is all about seed starting. So if you didn't get enough from these three episodes with uh, Kelsey and myself, you can go to minnesotagardening.com, click on courses in the main menu, and then go to the join the 2022 Seed Starting Cohort. It's a $47 course, and it's a two-track course where we've got a, uh, videos and information, everything you need to get your seed started, plus a interactive community building site as well. And so those two things, you can you can grow along with other folks and uh, learn from what everybody else is doing and have a really great time with it. So go to minnesotagardening.com, click on courses, and you'll find the 2022 Seed Starting Cohort.